Welcome to the Bliss Broker Podcast, a place to come and dive into the lives of people who've lived life's biggest moments and experiences, good and bad. Join us here every week as we focus on human interest pieces from all over the world. Tune in to get inspired, think outside the box, and find your bliss. I am here, another episode of The Bliss Broker, and I'm really, really, really excited to have Gail Young. She is a part of an accountability group that I'm a part of on Facebook and called Tea with Steve. You guys have heard me talk about it before. And there is a goldmine of people in that group that I could pick and choose from to have on the show that are all doing amazing things. The whole point of the group is networking, learning how to share our heart brand, learning how to do do uh, posts and videos and just basically sharing what we do to create a ripple in the world. Stephen Thompson, who is the creator of Tea with Stee, helps us do all of that. And so as you can imagine, there's a lot of really cool people in the group. And one of those cool people is Gail Young. And I've asked her here today um, to be on the show. So hi, Gail. Hi there, Harmony. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm so glad that we finally got to connect. Yes, it's been a bit of a protracted journey, hasn't it, really? It has, it has, but I'm, we persevere, we persevere. So I, let's go ahead and get started. Like, I've told everybody how we met, and so give, some, give everybody who's listening a snapshot of yourself. Who are you, and what do you do, and all those things? Well, I live here in the United Kingdom in a quite, it's kind of like mini Texas, really. It's very flat here. But it's tiny. It probably could fit about 10 of them into Texas. It's a flat, fen land place, very rural. But it What's does the name of it? It's called Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire, okay. So if you were to look at the map of England, there's a bit that goes in and then a big fat bottom bit that comes out. And we're round the bit that goes in before the big fat bottom bit. That's not, that's not very topographical, is it? But I love mind. it. You're such a geographer. I love it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely, darling. Yeah, so it's a bit flat here, but it's okay. It's all right. We have big skies. It's, I come from this county. I wandered about in England a bit, and then I came back here. So it's okay. And it's a city, but it's not very large in the that whole sounds perfect. Thing. That sounds perfect. So it's really good. You can walk home at night without fear of something terrible happening to you, and that's always a good thing, I think. It is a good thing. So you, so I'm going to start off with what you, what you used to do, what you retired from doing, because you'd mentioned that. And then now what you do now, and then we're going to kind of go backwards a little bit after you tell them what you do now and talk about how, how that journey became what it was for you to end up with making these awesome, beautiful hats. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So you are a retired theater nurse, you said. Absolutely. Yes. I kind well, of got what is that for our American listeners because I oh, only know because I'm obsessed with British television, but a lot of people oh, don't know what that means. Oh yes, because we speak we speak English, but of a different sort, don't we? Um, it's yeah. an operating theatre nurse, so I help surgeons, but or helped past tense surgeons with their care of patients in the operating theatre in the operating room. Wow! And I, I did it for years. All of my once I qualified as a nurse, I. Um, I meandered through my training pretty much by accident, to be fair. I, I w- I'd like to say to you that I had this um, heartfelt need to make sick people better when I was a young woman, but actually it's nothing of the sort. I, had, uh, I needed to leave home. I'd had quite enough of uh, this tiny little place that you, know, you couldn't breathe out without everybody telling your parents. And um, my friend who I was at school with said, hey, up, I've got this great idea. I've seen this. If we... If we um, actually 
apply we might actually be able to be nurses and they give us somewhere to live we could leave home she said bless what year was this Uh, oh i don't mind at all this was in 1979 i left home two weeks from my 18th birthday i was considerably younger and didn't need hair dye at all then um and it was phenomenal and but sadly jeanette my friend who i was at school with um in the time between us applying being accepted and our date to start which was about nine months she uh she was pregnant so she couldn't go and we lost touch and it's a real shame because it was down to her um that i actually started nursing in the first place and you know i enjoyed it it was good it was good fun i know that sounds really dreadful but it was great i couldn't believe that somebody would give you somewhere to live subsidize your diet and food and you know pay for that in a quite good way give you some ill-fitting uniform to wear and then teach you how to care for people and where did they send you when they sent you away from home, where did they send you guys? Um, you could go anywhere, but I went 14 miles up the road. Well, it might as well have been the moon, to be fair, because <laughs> nobody knew who I was. And I could wander about doing whatever I felt inclined to do, which probably wasn't that adventurous, if I'm honest. Um, but I, I was my own boss, and it was just absolutely phenomenal. You know, I felt completely liberated and uh, very sophisticated. I'm sure I was neither of those things, to be fair. <laughs> but, you know, when you're young and, and, you know, frivolous, that's what you think, isn't it? I think it's very courageous of you to do that. I mean, there's, I mean, 14 miles is, it seems like a long distance, but when you're young, it, 14 miles is a long way. <laughs> when you think that I couldn't drive and the only way I could have actually have got home, unless I could have persuaded my dear father to come and get me, which actually he probably would have, was a bus and the buses went twice a day except on a Sunday when they didn't go at all and they weren't very conducive with getting home again so even if I wanted to go home on my day off I couldn't get back on the same day because the last bus out of my town where I trained was at four o'clock in the afternoon and the return bus was at 20 to 5 so I would have got on the bus driven to my town got on it and then come straight back again Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, nice to see you. I'm off now. Yeah, it was all a bit random. So, actually, it was good fun. It was absolutely good fun. We were all varying shades of young and completely hapless. And the mischief that we managed to get into in that small place was phenomenal, really. And, you know, we all. That's the part I want to hear about. That's the part that I want to hear about because I love. I love learning about people's experiences and when they may have had moments of enlightenment in their life, especially if it came from something that was, you know, some of the dumb things that we can do on our journey <laughs> into adulthood oh, and, and beyond. So I definitely want to get into that because being the bliss broker, I love sharing other people's amazing paths that they take to get to where they are. And that being said, before we go back to that awesome era of your life, is your hats. That is something I've been explaining it to people as wearable art. And so now since you've yeah. re- retired from being a nurse, how is art something that you've always done? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had a very pragmatic mother and she's quite an autocrat, really, bless her heart. I mean, she's my late mother. But she would, if I, I was always a bit arty, I think, but I didn't really get the opportunity to do it because I think, you know, she was a she wasn't a very educated woman. I mean, she was a great homemaker and, you know, a phenomenal woman in her own way. But mm. she, you know, she was a child. She was a young woman in the war. And so therefore, you know, the Second World War. So in those days, they were quite austere. And they tre- she was very much, even though I was born in the 60s, there was nothing very 
thoroughly modern Millie about my mother. She was very much rooted in the past. And, you know, women were to leave school, get find a husband, have children and be a housewife. And that was all very fine and dandy. But it, it transpired that I wasn't actually going to fit that very well. And I was this arty, ethereal child. And I think, poor woman, she must have wondered what she'd done wrong to get such a child, really. <laughs> because... She was like, I am going to teach you to do these practical things. And it was like, well, I actually want to go and look at flowers and stare at the clouds and draw a pretty picture. And her, when she passed away, I've got a younger sister by five years. When she passed away, my sister had this idea that she would put something on the on the tombstone. And she said, what do you think we should put? And you know when the devil gets you in these moments. And I said, oh, I think what we should put is, is our dear late lamented mother's uh, motto, uh, mantra in life. And she said, well, what was that? I didn't even know she had one and I said well she had one for me she forever used to say as I was running down the garden with a handful of pencils and of what practical use is that <laughs> <laughs> you can't put that and I went no I know I'm just sort of getting out there no we won't be putting that and we didn't put that obviously because I was I cheap. love that that's hilarious. But she was very much a kind of if it doesn't have a practical use, then you jolly well won't be doing it. And so because arty people, which I didn't actually think I was at that time, arty people will make art in spite and despite of you. Yeah. And people find kooky ways to make art that is unique to themselves, regardless of how you try and scotch the efforts. So she taught me to knit, and um, I used to go to this knitting shop, which was this tiny little shop. It was kind of... It was it was like sort of something from Harry Potter, but with wool. And there was this tiny little grey-haired lady that could knit at a million miles an hour that sat behind the counter going clicky click with the knitting needles. And I'd say, oh, she was called Enid. And I'd say, Enid, I want to make this cardigan. And she'd go, right, okay. And she'd look at me and she'd coin up an eyebrow and she'd say, and uh, how exactly do you want to make it? Because I think she got it. And I said, well, I want to put points in the back and I want the sleeves to have points that go down to the middle finger. And I actually just want to use it for the number of stitches for the back, the front, the sleeves. I, I want to do the, you know, and I want to have it in this colour and I want to do a bit of ferrule here. And and, I, and it was just this, this random garment. And she'd go, no problem at all. We'll get the wool put, because you used to do something called putting the wool by, which meant that she would save all the yarn for you in a bag with your name in and you'd buy it as you needed it it was a phenomenal thing it was a little town wow. and they, um and so so that's what i did i used to knit these really crazy cardigans that had jumpers that have bits of pattern and bit of intarsium and a bit of they fair sound awesome. they, sound they, were, they were bonkers and they used to offend my great mother dearly because she'd go why is that bit there <laughs> that doesn't say that on the pattern no <laughs> Know, it, you know, a cable randomly down the sleeve but not all the way just sort of loose about the sleeve somewhere bless her so I think she always struggled with this this thing about her daughter being this I don't think she thought of me as arty particularly so I went off and did my nurse training and that was all marvellous and I couldn't quite believe it and then I went off and did some some theatre nurse training as they called it there so operating room nurse training and I then still couldn't believe that somebody was going to teach me all this knowledge, give me somewhere to live that was really as cheap as chips and so easy and affordable and subsidise my food and, and show me how to do this amazing job. So I think I probably at that time, I mean, I was kind of in my early 20s, I think I would have worked for free, to be fair, because I don't think I could really quite get my head around the fact that they were paying me to do this thing that I loved so much. 
And I um, love that that's your perspective. I mean, that's just a testament to to how our perspective can keep us happy, sad, stressed. Yeah. I mean, you you having an awareness of that had to make that whole situation so enjoyable. Oh gosh, it was fabulous. I I've seen things that I met people and stood opposite people that are some of the most phenomenal people ever, you know, and they're just ordinary people that you, you know, you're talking to like I'm talking to you. I, uh, when I did my theatre course, there was a chap there, a gynecologist, and at the time he was a exponent of um, the chairman of Life, um, which is a an anti-abortion movement in in the UK. And he once said to me, so he said, can you tell me, he said, uh, what is menstruation? And I sort of said, you know, oh, I'm a female. I think I know what that is. And he said, no, my dear, it's the tears of a disappointed uterus. <laughs> and so, yeah, exactly. And the, the, play, the whole place went very quiet. And I went, I sort of looked at him and he was this great big bear of a man. And I said, well, you could say, you, you of course will say that. And he said, but don't you think that's the case? And I said, well, you know, we're here to, to we're here to assist people. We're not here to make great judgments about their life choices, are we? I love and that he, answer. And he said, so I take it then that you're pro-abortion. And I said, no, I'm pro a woman's right to choose. And the whole place, I thought, you know, that you could hear a pin drop, literally. And the anaesthetist chap said, we're sailing into choppy waters here a bit. <laughs> I said, no, I respect his view, you know, completely. And I respect the fact that he should have it. But I just don't happen to share it as he sees it. And what year was this, if you don't mind me asking again? Well, this would be probably, ooh, let me have a think, about 1981 to... So not that far back in time. But still, I mean, that it's still a touchy subject. And for you oh, to oh, have, yeah. have the ability to say that so gracious, gracefully and graciously is pretty powerful. Well, it was because my inner monologue was saying something entirely else, which was, I can't believe I'm stood next door to such a misogynist old sod. <laughs> was what I was thinking. And then I thought, no, I can't actually say you're a misogynist because, you know, you obviously know what you're doing. You're a time-served bloke and you're entitled to your view. And he just said, I see. You're just one of these, you're just one of these fray kind of left-wingers, are you? And I said, no, I'm just here to get the job done. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, was, I think I was, about, I was about 21 years old or something. And it was like, I am so out of my depth here, but I'm going to just stand on my box and say what I think and, you know, give you the right to say what you think. But, uh, you know. I mean, there's people that are that live to be 61, 71, and never have the courage to say something like that. And for you to, you obviously came, came out just as this awesome, strong, I mean, I believe that we are all uniquely special, but there are a lot of people in the world, thankfully, that just come out with this sass about them. Just this, mm -hmm. like, you know, I feel like I'm meant to be, like, stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves or stand Absolutely. up, you know, just like an advocate. Absolutely. 
and you obviously had it since you were little because oh, even no. though your mom didn't agree with you know or support what you were doing you were you still didn't miss a beat and you still did it and I think that that is so empowering well, for people to hear you know, I think the thing is she she once said to me she said um I will break your spirit and I mumbled to I think I was about seven and I mumbled under my breath or die trying and, <laughs> and ran <laughs> and ran away very quickly um and she said i beg your pardon i said oh absolutely nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. but you know i kind of i suppose i've always been a bit of a my local councillor when we when it's time for him to be re-elected he comes and chit chats on the doorstep and uh he always suggests that um i should join his party and i always suggest that he should not wish for that <laughs> wishes for because that would just be frightful for him mostly but yeah um i did a survey once um somebody rang up my my postcode where i live which is kind of like the zip code you call it i think yeah it's not a very um wealthy or educated area of lincoln i live on the kind of what i like to refer to as the special needs end of the high street um, <laughs> because you know we have sheltered housing rounders we have multi-occupancy housing rounders we've got old people's place residences around us and you know it's it's pretty impoverished around here it wasn't always like this but it is like this now and so you know we have there's an old guy that is, he's about six foot five tall he's stooped over he's in his early 90s and he wanders around wearing his mother's mink coat and her underwear because you know it, he's obviously got little special requirements that some of us don't have. And but he wanders up and down all day, minding his own business, doing his own thing. And so, you know, that's the kind of calibre of individual that wander about here. And do you know what? It's okay. We've all got our place, haven't we? It's all right. You know, we've all now, got I wanted to ask, was your dad did your dad have any sass to him? Did he was an incredibly spirited man. Um, he always used to say that his weapon of choice was sarcasm. And that. his mantra was, if you can't convince them, confuse them. And <laughs> I love that. I need that on a T-shirt. Absolutely. If you can't convince them, Gail, just confuse them, he'd say. That always worked for me. And, uh, you know, he was, in, he used, um, my poor mother, I mean, she had him and I, and I think between us, really, looking back on it, we must have rang, run rings around her and poor woman she must have been beyond herself well, I um, seen them kind of interacting like a, an evening in your house when you guys were little maybe or something and her, him saying something did he ever get a chuckle out of her yes occasionally occasionally uh, but he, and he, and if he got one he'd kind of like he'd skip and he was a big man he was a robust bear of a man he'd kind of skip around the room uh, <laughs> in his own sarcastic little fashion and she'd go there's no need for that <laughs> Very austere and I don't know why because you know when she got going when she was being funny she was incredibly funny but she, I think she just felt like she got the weight of the world on her I think and you yeah. know it was a shame, really it was it was a shame but you know I a suppose, different time right just a different oh, time yeah, absolutely different time yeah and so now you you survived all those years finding art in your own way making awesome cardigans and things like that now when did you get around to doing the beautiful hats that you do now well I decided at 40 that I'd had quite enough of this well I actually did I, I decided I needed to do a degree and at that time the NHS was very very gracious and you could kind of pick up and put down your hours quite well then it's not quite the same now but at that point you could and I thought do you know what I need to do a degree in something I don't have one because I when I did my nurse training I didn't need to have a degree and I was bumbling along quite well in my job you know and it was all good and uh, my son was 
four. And I thought, we'll be going to school soon. I'll tell you what, when he starts school, I'll start a degree. I, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. But anyway, so uh, this seemed like a good idea. So it's actually I'll, a really good idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I decided, you know, I'm, I'm 36 at this point. So I decided that that's what I would do. Well, no, 40. I, I was 36 when I thought I'd have a go at this. So I went off and I did um, a craft access course because I did craft. I didn't actually have this notion of myself as a fine art person at all. And so off I trundled and did this. Um, it was called a national diploma in craft. So off I went and I did glass and ceramics and wood, which was hateful, and metal, which I didn't understand at all, and paper and print and all manner of, a real broad brush of things I tried. And we had this visiting artist come and he was a fine artist and he was you know, talking to us all. And he said, you should consider fine art, you know, and I hadn't really got a clue what he was talking about. So he sent me off to look at some and I came back and I realised actually the man was absolutely on the money. I was doing the wrong course and there was a lady that was the lady that was in charge of fine art it was a lady called Jane and she was six foot seven tall and really formidable um and she but she had this twinkle in her eye which was quite hopeful and so I met her in the corridor uh, I sought her out and bumped into her quite on purpose in the corridor and said ah would it be possible for me to have a meeting with you? Um, I'd like to talk about, um, you know, joining a fine art group. And she said, you're one of those craft people, aren't you? And I said, I am, yes, indeed. And I said, obviously, you, you know, you're a busy woman, so you may not have time to discuss it now. Can I have an appointment? And she said, nobody asks me for an appointment. People just think I've got all the time in the world. And I said, well, I'm sure you haven't. So can I, you know, when would it be convenient for you? So lo and behold, bless her consult, she gave me an appointment and off I went. And she said, we don't have craft people doing fine art. And I said, well, I've got news for both of us. I'm actually not a crafts person. I'm just a person doing craft. I said, craft's interesting and I have nothing against craft. Because at, the at that time, there was a real um, bifurcation about those two things. Now it's much more amalgamated. But at that time, there was a real snootiness about fine art and craft you know crafts people made bowls and fine art people made ethereal work right <laughs> whatever so um what if you say so so anyway we had a bit of a chit chat and it transpired from this half an hour chit chat that i she said well you need to do an access course i went oh for crying out loud i lost it really i kind of thought oh, i can't do this i said well i haven't got time and she went what do you mean i said for God's sake, woman, I'm 40 years old. I want to get in and do this. I can't be hanging about, faffing about doing some kind of thing that's not going to take me any further. I shall. Will I have more skills at the end of it? Probably not. Will I have wasted a year of my life? Probably. So why can't I not just start? And she, <laughs> she just said, she said, turn up here with your sketchbook and whatever you think you can have to persuade us at this time, she said. So I went, okay, fine, I'll see you there then. The kind of thinking, I don't know quite what this is about, but it was actually my interview to get in to do my fine art degree. So I had this big roll of paper under my arm that had got all my print work that I'd done and a whole bunch of stuff that I'd gathered together from the four corners of my workshop thinking, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll just take all this and see what happens. I'll throw myself at it. It's fine. If I can get in the door, I'll get the job. It'll be fine. And uh, I went along and and I wasn't interviewed by Jane. I was interviewed by this other lady called Medina, who was a phenomenal uh, painter. And I'd got this big roll of paper and she went, what's that? So we staked out this big piece of 
abstract print that I'd done. And she said, why have you done it that colour? Why have you done it? And I, I had an answer for all of these things. And she said, all oh, right, OK. She said, so she said, OK, that's fine. She said, I'll be sending you a letter, she said, but I'd like to offer you a place. And I said, and I'd like to accept right now, right this minute, before somebody considerably younger, brighter and more dynamic turns up and pinches my spot. <laughs> Just no, we don't operate like that. No way. Yeah, but I'm a little bit anxious about this. So yes, please, I'd like to start. Where do I sign? <laughs> so that, and this is at 40 years old. This is at 40 years. Oh, but it gets much, much better. It gets. Oh, I love it. I love it. I walked home, which isn't a million miles, but it's all downhill. I walked home. The sun was shining. You know, all was right in my world. I was going to start a fine art degree. I was the happiest woman on the planet. And I get home, and I'd been married to my husband, father of my four-year-old boy. Um, for 18 years, I'd known him for 20 years, for 18 years, and I bounced in full of the joys of springs, thoroughly chuffed to bits with my little old self. And I said, and he looked me up and down and he said, I take it you've got a place then. And I said, I have, yes, unconditional, which was unheard of, you know, a craft girl getting an unconditional place on a fine art course. And I, and I said all this and I was so excited I could hardly get the words out. And he went, oh, well, that's interesting. And I said, interesting that's not a word he normally uses and I said oh how do you mean that's interesting he said well I hope you can do it on your own he said because um at the end of all uh, so this was kind of like June he said yeah. because um the first of September he said I'm moving out I don't want to be here anymore I'm off you're on your own <laughs> pardon me wow um, universe thanks for that and it was like all oh, right okay that's not quite where I was that wasn't the reply. A, a well done darling would have done for me, to be honest. I mean, is was this out of left field or had you been feeling it? Like in hindsight, no, were you think, like, did you notice? Yeah, been being particularly disagreeable for quite some time, but I didn't imagine that he would choose that moment to exit stage left. But he left and I did the first year full time. I'm not quite sure how I did it. I did a full time fine art degree, worked 25 hours as a theatre nurse and had a four year old child that started school that year. I'm not quite sure how I did that to be fair. I think I just had tunnel vision and cracked on with it. Um, at the end of the first of the first year, thank goodness there's a big long bit of holiday so from uni. And I gathered my thoughts up and crashed and burned and didn't didn't do very well. But I signed on for year two and did it part-time. And it took me a long time to get this degree finished because my health then decided it would have a joining in. Just just when you think, you know, just when you think, okay, universe, I'm I'm done now. Thank you. Move along. Move along now. No, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid. I, I started to feel really awful. And I thought, God, isn't it? What the hell is the matter with me? I couldn't quite, you know, it was a medical thing. I'm a surgical girl. I don't think medical because I'm a surgical girl. You know, if you, right. can't, if you can't cut it out, then there's no, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit tunnel vision. <laughs> but yeah, that's how you go when you, when you, when you're focused on your career, you don't actually think very sideways always. Yeah, you're right. You know, because that's how it is. Um, so I went to my GP, who's a lovely, lovely chap who I knew, and I sort of made my appointment. And I said, I'm really concerned about myself because I don't quite know what's the matter with me. But I think you've either got to shoot me or fix me because I don't like it. And he said, we'll do some blood tests. I mean, he obviously had his suspicions. And I said, oh, and he said, what do you think it is? Because he was always said to me, what's your best guess then? And I said, well, neither of them are very good. It's either it, I think and I'm really not certain, it's either ME or MS, please can it not be MS? And he said, well, let's wait till we get the results. I said, yes, I'm not wanting either of those. That's just a, that's my worst case scenario. And he said, so the results came back and he said, 
well, I've got good news. It's not ME or MS. And I went, brilliant. What is it? Will a course of multivitamins and antibiotics fix it? With a big grin on my face. And he went, no, I referred you to a rheumatologist and your appointment's in two weeks. So off I went. And so then I had, I've, I've had rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia ever since, which kind of rather tended to put the tin out on quite a lot of things, really, because my stamina wasn't there. And that's why, really, that I ended up having to give up my job at 55, because I just couldn't do it at the full throttle that I wanted to do it at. And it was, it wasn't how I imagined the end to be. And it was all a bit soul destroying, to be honest. So but, you, you got know, diagnosed when you were in your early 40s and you carried on until you were 55. That's a, that's quite awesome, actually. I mean, for you to stick in there. I mean, I know you had to work and it was your, mm. you know, you were a mom and all that stuff, but that's that's pretty powerful. It was, it was no, I didn't feel terribly powerful at the time, though. I have to say, honey, sure. I felt like I wasn't doing anybody any favors and least of all myself. And, you know, I pretty much did it single-handedly. And people would say, you know, are you seeing anybody? And I think... No, I'm not seeing anybody because, you know what, when I've done, and I used to do kind of a, a short day, and I think when I've done a day's work here, I go home, I feed my son, and then I fall asleep on the sofa. I'm absolutely stuffed. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants to date that. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> want to date that. It's terrible. So for a long time, I was kind of in the wilderness time with my private life, really, and spent a lot of time very singular mm -hmm. um, which is actually not a bad I mean I know that people get lonely and people want partners and I don't know if that was your case but no. loneliness is more the focus when people are alone or they are single or they do spend a lot of time by themselves it's not it's looked upon as lonely or there's something wrong with it from the time that we're very little it's not celebrated my friend said are you not um lonely and I said no I'm alone there's a difference alone is one thing being lonely is something else altogether mm -hmm. and my husband when he was my husband uh, was in the RAF so he was often uh, gone for great swathes of time so I was quite used to kind of like paddling my own canoe really amusing myself and make you know we owned our own property so if the tap leaked I fixed it and you know if the car broke I mended it so me because it seems like just in this what I've learned about you up to this point is you've been just naturally independent naturally a go-getter naturally audacious I think so and I think that doesn't always help when I try and throw myself out there in the dating world because men bless them and you know they are 50 percent of the population they're a different nationality to us altogether yeah. and they, I think they really I genuinely believe them when they say, I want a strong, independent woman, I genuinely believe that they think they want that. Yeah. I do genuinely think they think they want that. But then when they're actually confronted with one day in, day out, and I am a real, I'm a problem. I've, I think I came out of the womb shouting why rather than <laughs> what. I am a pragmatic problem solver. Yeah. So if you've got a problem, you can bet your buttons that by the time you finish the sentence, I've got half a dozen ways that you might like to consider tackling it. And, you know, they might not work, but it might make you think and kick your head into something that will work. And that is very intimidating for men. I have to say that in my years on the planet, and certainly as I've got older, 
I flatly refused to dumb down. I did that when I was married. You know, I was that girl in flowery trousers trying to be the housewife and it nearly drove me bananas. Uh, and no, you know, there's something to do with that to your own self be true thing. I don't know about Shakespeare or the Bible, to be fair, but it was one of the other. And I think there's something about that. I think you do have to be honest with yourself. And, you know, you don't have to tell everybody else about your shortcomings, but you need to know what they are yourself. And, and once you've actually decided what they are, then it's entirely up to you, I think, to decide which one of them, if any, you're going to tackle and rein in in some way. I mean, some of them don't need reining in. They just need you to make sure the safety catch, in my case, the safety catch is on my mouth. Yeah. Because, you know, that the number of my a very old and dear friend said to me one day when I was wading in there, putting my foot right in it, you know, your problem. And I said, well, I don't think we've got quite long enough on the shift, really. But what, what do you think? <laughs> it is? And she said, you just open your mouth to change feet. And she's right. I'm always putting my foot in it. I'm drop clangers all the time. And, and I'm that's, you know what? That's my favorite thing about you. And it's not, it's again, one of those things that's not celebrated because instead of it looking at society for the most part, even now, looking at that as something beautiful and empowering and, you know, something to be emulated, it's looked at as something, well, you put your foot in your mouth or, I mean, it's just been a handful of years that I've been with my husband. We've only been married this coming February will be two years that we were married. And I even had women before I met him this late in the game telling me, you know, you're too independent. You just, you just need to, you know, simmer down now and just go to don't be so eager to help and don't be so eager, you know, just play, play the domestic goddess. Men love that. And I'm just like, these are women that are not necessarily that much older than me and some that are younger than me and they're like harmony you're not married because that means it's my first marriage and i'll be 45 in a couple weeks you know i mean i i chose that i mean i just i love women like you and it's the reason why i wanted you on the show amongst other things because i sense that about you that you just have this this confidence in yourself and obviously have had it since you were young that I feel like women need to hear. I feel like no matter what their age, where they are in their life, they need to hear that that feeling of wanting to be something more and that feeling of wanting to chase your dreams or speak up or whatever, not be, you know, Miss Housewife if that's not what you want to do. Not that there's nothing, anything wrong with being a housewife. No, but if that's awesome. not for you, there's nothing wrong with speaking up. And there's still so many women walking the planet that are not there. They have a major inability to speak up for what they want and who they are. And it breaks my heart. Well, it is very sad, isn't it? But I remember, I think I'd been married about, I'd probably been married about four or five months. And I was living on the airbase. And the young woman who was my age that was living opposite me, all she wanted to do was have a baby. And she was saying to me, do you not want to have a baby? No, I'm not very keen on that idea. I'm a bit young for that. I've got things to do before I get around to that, really. And all she wanted to do was have a baby. And then she got pregnant and she had a baby and she was thoroughly blissful. And I remember once, you know, coming home from work after a very long day that should have finished at five. And by the time I'd stumbled home on my little moped up a very, very busy road at sort of half past 11 at night, only to go back again the next morning for eight o'clock, I remember sitting there, my husband was away, I was in my little house by myself and I, I kind of, I sat there and I was obviously tired, hungry and a little bit feeling sorry for myself. And I cried and I thought, do you know what? If only, if only I could be satisfied with just sitting in this house, having a baby and not be worrying about or concerning myself about anything more than that. 
how easy would my life be? I mean, obviously, I clearly very shortly woke up the next morning and snapped out of it. But, you know, it's something that's occurred to me. It's been a recurring theme as I've waded through, you know, stuff that you do when you're just living your life. You know, you see people around you and they seem to swim in this in this limpid pool of bliss and happiness and nothing touches them. You know, their stuff doesn't break down. They don't run out of petrol when it's raining. You know, they don't have all that crap that the rest of us do of course they do we just don't see it you know everybody does and you think you know when I go to the tip when I go to the tip to take my rubbish which doesn't happen very often because I can't stand it when I go there I have to lump my own stuff out of the back of the damn car and chuck it where it needs to go is the man helpful not on your nelly my friend who's the same age as me she goes and they're all over her they're in her car getting her stuff out and chucking and I think why is that why is that? And you know, if I could get the answer to that, I feel I could rule the world. Does she have like, does she have a skimpy skirt on or something? No, not at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. And I think, what is it that she has? What is it she gives off that I clearly didn't even know there was a cue for? What is that about? I don't I know. I would love it if you would go up and ask and get back to me. <laughs> just walk well, up and be like, I have a question. Is there any way you can help me? And they just look at me as if I'm something unpleasant and go, no, you have to do it yourself. And then dash to her, because we once went simultaneously, dash to her and help her. And I go, why are you helping that lady? Because obviously they don't know that we know each other. Why are you helping that lady? Well, you put it in your car. And I said, well, how do you know she didn't put it in her car? Well, actually, her and I put it in her car. Uh, actually, we put it in her car because that's my friend. I just want to know why she gets the help and I can't seem to. I'm just curious, you know, just curious. But there's no answer. And I think I must look my probably ferocious or formidable or capable or I don't really know, to be honest, what it is. But it is the way of it. You know, nobody carries my shopping. I carry my own shopping. Maybe I just get on with it and people just think, oh, she can cope and leave me to I it. Think I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, I really, really do. There's, I've complained throughout a lot of my relationships that nobody's helping me. Nobody's, I would pull up with the groceries and nobody would come out and try to help me get the groceries. And I finally realized many years later that it's, I give off that vibe, like I'm good. And if anybody ever has ever asked me, I'm always said, no, I got it. So why eventually people just quit asking <laughs> and then they can see that I don't want to be helped, even though a lot of times I need help. <laughs> I just would never. Yeah, I think that is a real Rubicon to cross, isn't it? Knowing yeah. you need help and then being brave enough to ask for it. And that's the whole thing that I'm, that's kind of like the thing I've been sharing lately. It's the, it's that beautiful path that we're on. It's how it led me to you being with T with Steve, because for most of my adult life, I've been like, I'm only child. I'm, mm -hmm. I've watched my mom, you know, she was born in 53 in Southern, you know, in o Ohio, but then quickly moved to Southern California. So she was just this like independent, spunky, you know, I look up to my mom still do. She's still quite the amazing woman, very independent. So that's what I saw. She's my muse. Yeah. And so, of course, I came out that way because she, my dad bailed when I was three. And and she did whatever she had to do to take care of it. If she needed to get yeah. under the sink, she'd fix the plumbing. She'd fix my car. She She could do everything in my eyes. And I still believe that she can. And so when you grow up seeing that, you don't know any other way. No, absolutely not. Absolutely and, it's, and then you get to the point where you're like, well, I don't want to be any other way. I don't want to. So me having that mentality growing up around that, being lone wolf, 
not feeling like somehow in my brain it was equating as if I asked for help, then I'm that means I'm weak and that I should be able to figure everything out on my own. And it wasn't until the last few handful of years that I really decided I have dreams, I have goals, I have things that I want to accomplish. And at the end of the day, Harmony, you have to get your head out of your butt and ask for help. Yeah. And that's when my life changed and, and getting on and being a part of Tea with Stee and that group. Oh my gosh. I tell people that all the time. They're like, no, all groups are like that. And I'm like, trust me, they're not. I was like, I don't know what, I guess it's Stephen's heart brand or the way the universe is bringing all these people together, but it's just a group, beautiful group that makes it, makes you feel safe when it comes to you needing help with anything. And you, I mean, I'm not very good technically. I'm a bit, tech is my kryptonite. And uh, he sent me a message today. Um, have you used um, Instagram Reels? And I and I just put. Oh, I got that same one. No, why would I? <laughs> Is it idiot proof? If not, I shan't be going there yet. And he's sort of, you know, kind of in this kind of. See, I, I sent him a voice message going, "Really? Why are you asking me this silly question? Why would I do that?" But it, you know, it, it is that. It is that. It's that getting out of your comfort zone and knowing that. Perhaps it comes with maturity, and I don't mean age, I just mean mental maturity. I, my son's girlfriend, she's 23, she has phenomenal maturity for a 23-year-old. I was nowhere near that savvy when I was 23, I can thoroughly assure you. I might be able to get through an operation, but I was not that savvy. Mm -hmm. uh, she's very savvy, and, you know, I think, oh, wow, if I was that savvy at 23, dear God, can you imagine what I'd be like? I know that's too scary for words. But... <laughs> Don't think about it, it'll give you nightmares. But, you know, it's that whole thing about finding what you're about and realizing. I suppose the, the best way to say it is we're all Instagram ready. You know, yeah. we are what we are. You know, if your hair's sticking up at the back, it's sticking up at the back. If you've got your skirt tucked in your pants, then hopefully somebody will tell you, but eventually you'll work it out. And you just have to really kind of grasp that notion that whilst you may think that everybody's looking at you just stop being an egomaniac because actually they're too busy worrying about the blooming selves because they're too busy being their own egomaniac you know you can actually get away with doing quite outrageous things and nobody's ever going to realize because they're busy whittling and worrying about their own get enlightened in a place where you're like oh i can just be me it's like why didn't i just know that like why don't we just know that it's so <laughs> Really is. I mean, we can just show up. Like you said, I love that. We can, we're all Instagram ready. Yeah. You just show up. And I think once I quit, I know once I quit concerning myself with what I look like and no, get, don't get me wrong. When I do a video, I like to look presentable and yeah, I mean, I love doing videos and I love, love putting on makeup and I, I put on makeup, even if I don't get on and do a video, I, I, I do it for me. I love it. Cause for most of my life, I didn't really wear makeup, believe it or not. I was just kind of like going through the motions and it wasn't until these last probably 10 years of my life that I really got interested in, in shoes and fashion and makeup. Yeah, I mean, I was just like a tomboy. I just kind of went through the motions. But I really, once I started like showing bloopers and, you know, I'd do a video and I'd have food in my teeth. I'd just be like, oh, I got food in my teeth. And I would leave it in instead of, instead of trying to do the video over again. And like, that's when people started paying attention to me because my personality came out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nobody, you know, we've got enough filters and people trying to be something that they're not. And mm -hmm. I think you stand out for just being a realist about yourself. Yeah. You know, some days you can't get the words out. They're all there, but they're in no particular order. And you just go, oh, that's not quite what I meant to say, actually. Or, you know, you send a text to somebody and you think, 
you read it back later and you think, what was that load of rubbish? And <laughs> I would say, I'm awfully sorry, but I think I've been I've been kind of hijacked by a predictive text. What I was actually trying to say was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's hijacking. laughs> what that? I'm so sorry. Um, did you understand that? And people who know me go, yeah. And, you know, when I get my words all backwards, they actually, they speak backwards Gale, which I find very flattering because I think, you know, they've taken a bit of time and trouble to understand that. You know, bless her. So it's quite good. So anyway, she talks about this hats thing. This hats story is a bit protracted, isn't it? It's like in this country, I'm at it again. In this country, we he's now long since died, I think. There's this little comedian chap. He's very small, diminutive stature. And he used to sit on this big chair and he would tell a monologue at the end of his comedic show. And he would ramble about and he'd never get to the point. And I feel actually I'm a bit like that myself. <laughs> I think we can all be a little bit like that. We get talking and it's so nice to have a conversation with somebody, even if you're, you know, not in front of them. But I mean, we're well, literally. I'm in a very odd light here, but it's dark. It's pitch black dark here now. Is it really? Yeah, it's the first day. Well, we're in the Northern Hemisphere. I, I'm geographically completely challenged, to be fair. So I don't know even if you're in the same hemisphere, to be fair. Yeah, um, we're, but, today's the first day. It's the equinox but, today, right? Yeah, it's the autumn equinox. So um, here we are. It's. I'm trying to find the clock on my thing, but I can't. Clock, and it's pitch black dark outside. Yeah, that's um, not, it's chilly. It's like 65 degrees right now. And I, I'm like, I don't, I'm not ready for it to be cold. <laughs> well, um, we, I'm in the mountains of North Carolina. So the weather is, we get, we get four seasons here. We do um, all for breakfast if you're very unlucky. You know, this is <laughs> if you didn't go out when it was raining, you would spend the whole time indoors. You just have to. Was it the great Chris Bonington, the climber, said there is no wrong weather. It's just inappropriate clothing. And oh, you just have to be ready yes. for everything, really. I mean, tomorrow, today, it was uh, 24 degrees C. And tomorrow, it's going to be 17 and raining. So, you know, it's weird here. <laughs> it's like you've got to be prepared for everything, such as life, right? Yeah, it's just a way of it. You know, we'll just put a jumper on and it'll all be fine, really. I just love your attitude, and I knew there was a reason why I was called to have you on. I knew that you would have nuggets for listeners. Most of my most of my listeners are women, and I love my favorite thing is to share people's story and to share people from all different walks of life. And there's always a common thread, and that common thread is courage. That common thread is just finally, you know, having the courage to admit who you are, what you want. And if that happens when you're 17 or when you're 77, it doesn't matter. It's never too late. And a lot of times people hear things on here and they're like, well, gosh, she did it. And, you know, if she did it, then I can do it too. And and so now you've gone through, which there's so much more in there that I want to hear about. I'm like, I have to have Gail on for a part two because your life, there's so many questions I want to ask you. And we're already 50 minutes in, if you can believe it. But I do want to tell people about your art, your hats, because your ornamentology, because I think that they are so stunning. And I've been telling people they're like steampunk style, but is would that be... Yeah, yeah, they are kind of based in that kind of loose steampunk genre. When I go um, to my, I have a pop-up uh, hat shop. Oh. And we travel up and down England. I don't go to Scotland because there isn't a very good steampunk scene there. We'll get there eventually. So I go here, there and everywhere. And I get the opportunity to set up my little mobile hat shop in some phenomenal buildings from really old church halls to castles to cathedrals to, you know, Victorian thingy me jigs and that sounds you know, so awesome 
it's phenomenal. You know, you you'd never knew that half of these places existed. And it's really impressive. But when I plonk my stall next door to other people and, you know, lots of people sell hats and they'll come to my stall and they look at my hats. And you can see them looking a bit puzzled. And, you know, I give them the I give them my sales pattern, which is very short and you know, to the point and just, you know, these are all one-offs and I invent them myself. This is the contents of my head. I usually say grinning at them like an idiot. And uh, they, and, you know, I can do you a commission piece of work if you've got an idea in your head. If we can find the materials, then we can make it. And they go, really? And I go, yeah, really. And they kind of, really? Yeah. And one chap said, I bet you can't. And I went, okay, challenge accepted. What is it you want? And he said, well, I play the piano. And I went, right, okay. So what sort of hat? Did you want a top hat? Yes, he said. So I said, okay, anything else that you do that you want putting in there? And he went, no. And I went, okay, here all weekend? And he went, yeah. And I said, okay. Come back in half an hour and I'll tell you what. I said, well, I can probably come up with something. And he went, really? And I went, yes. Anyway, he came back. And I, I couldn't make that because I wasn't in my workshop. But in the interim time, I'd spotted something on someone else's stall and it was a pencil sharpener. Now that doesn't sound very good, does it? But it was in the shape of an upright piano. So I went and bought this upright piano pencil sharpener that was probably about, oh, I don't know, four inches by about three or four inches square-ish. And he came back and I said, about your piano hat? And he said, yes. And I said, I've got a piano, at home I've got some music, and I've got this really nice lace that's got um, kind of music notes on that we could whirl around over the top, and there's this and there's that, and I went waffling on at a million miles an hour because that's how my creative brain functions. Yeah. And he stood there, and he, he looked. I could see that the poor man, it was like being under machine gun fire of ideas. And he said, I said, you're a creative, you know what I mean, kind of as a throwaway finishing full stop. And he said... How much will it be? So I told him. He went, really? And I went, yes. He said, that seems very reasonable. I said, well, you can pay me more, but that's what I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> he went, All right. So we took the details and lo and behold, I packed this, made this hat, sent him the images. He was thrilled to bits. He got it there. And then he wrote me a really lovely review saying, if you've never been to this woman's store, go there. It's not just hats, it's an experience. And I thought, wow, I have arrived. I have made it somebody thinks and it's still I mean I've been at this now for about four and a half years it still thrills me to bits that something that I dreamt up out of my head and made out of things that are in my workroom which is a bit like Fingal's Cave that some of which have come from the I think you call it a thrift shop but we call it a charity shop here from yeah. a charity shop or somebody's given me oh I've got these Gail they've got your name all over them oh, detritus of living lands in my spare bedroom which is where I work from which I call hat HQ but it is my spare bedroom let's not get too pretentious about this um I work at a secretariat desk which is like a drop down desk with a bookcase in front which I've been looking for for years and my next door neighbor threw hers out and it was in her garden can you believe that serendipitous thing oh, um, I love that but life is very serendipitous I'm swimming in that flow of loveliness. And it's very nice, serendipitousness. And all you actually have to do is just think what it is you think you'd like and just commit it. Just say it out loud. I usually look to the ceiling, but I look upwards to the skies and say, <laughs> I could really do with whatever it's I could really do with. And then it seems in the wink of an eye, sometimes really, really quickly, but usually fairly quickly, whatever that thing is will appear. 
and it's or the the opportunity to access that thing will happen and it's just it's magical i don't get it i don't understand it i don't have to understand it all i have to know is that it's there and that i will always have sufficient for myself and the people who i care about which means that you know if i'm wandering down the high street and somebody is sitting there on a tatty looking sleeping bag that looks like they haven't had their breakfast um i'll ask them when they last ate something and even if i've only got a little bit of money in my purse i'll go and get them the breakfast because i know that i'm not short of anything i've got a house full of furniture roof over my head my bills are paid and i've got a cupboard full of food if i can't offer somebody that hasn't got that something then then why on earth are we all wandering about doing this thing do you know what I mean? I knew there was a reason why I loved you and it was bigger than your just supportive energy that you give off. And I just everything you're saying, I'm like, this is my she's she's my soulmate. <laughs> I just love yeah. that you you look at things that way because there's there's so many cynical people walking through the planet yeah. and it's just very, very heartbreaking. And so this every time I have a conversation on this podcast with somebody, I leave and I'm on a high for the rest of the week. Well, it's in light, it lifts issue doesn't it it's like chicken soup for your soul if you like you know my once husband's grandfather was this little half jewish man that lived through both wars um and he was a phenomenal chap and he had a really interesting twizzle on life and he said i once went and i'd found he was a gardener and I'd found this, I'd found something that was garden related. It was this little trowel. And I thought, well, do you know, this will help him when he's digging about this little trowel. It's tiny for when he's diggling about in his little plant pots. And I said, oh, I found something for your gramps. I said, um, I hope you like it. I came across it quite by accident, but it's got your name all over it. And he said, oh, he said, thank you very much. He said, that gift giving, he said, it's a very, it's a very selfish thing, isn't it? And I said, <laughs> is it? Is it? And I thought, well, this is interesting. He said, yes. And I said, how do you work that out then? And he said, you know, I was this young girl in my early 20s. And he said, and I mean, he was kind of a grandpa. And he said, well, he said, if you think about it, if you're the person giving the gift, he said, it's very selfish. You've had the joy of choosing the gift, the joy of wrapping it up, the joy of the, of the anticipation of giving it over. And I was thinking, do you know, he's got a point. He said, <laughs> you have the joy of the person's face when they open it and they're pleased to have it. And I said, but there is some joy for the person receiving it, is there not? And he said, yes, but is it, is it actually in equal proportion to the joy that you have had? And I went, well, I've had a great time. I hope you have. <laughs> but he said... I really can't begin to imagine why you want to marry my grandson. I should have listened to that man. Such is life. Oh, he sounds fabulous. He was an amazing man, absolutely amazing man. But I've been very blessed. I've had lots of kind of people like that that I think have been kind of like reluctant mentors in a way. If you asked them, are you mentoring this woman? They would have got, no, 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 she'll work it out. Um, but they did. You know, those little... I mean, my father died when I was 20 and he must have known, he must have had some insight into this because he he planted all of these little seeds of knowledge and stuff in my head that as I've gone on to, you know, go through my adulthood, I, I'm sometimes actually stopped in my tracks when I find myself either saying something or doing something in a particular way or reacting in a particular way. And I think, 
my goodness me, my dad said that to me when I was a child and I didn't understand it then. And it's kind of like he's, it's almost like he's had a savings account going on in my head for all these years. And, you know, you just think, he's done it again. Bloody hell, he's done it again. And it is, it's phenomenal. It really is. So I think, you know, life is just, life's an adventure, really. It Sometimes is. it's a bit of a bumpy one and you do feel like the whole world and his wife is against you. But actually, they're not. You're just yeah. not quite looking in the right direction. Yeah. And, you know, that, and that's part of that journey is just getting to the point where you have the courage to walk away from what you've seen as familiar and that is probably not as healthy and find go find your people. Yeah, it's about finding your tribe, definitely. It Very is, and it's the best tribe. thing I've ever done. And like some of the people I love so much, I've never actually met in person. Wow. And that would be, you know, people that I've met with T with Stee. I'm a part of a podcasting, it's called Podcasting All-Stars. And, and the gentleman that created that group is, he found me on Instagram last year and he lives in Cornwall and he's become the best, of, we're best of friends. We, he says I'm his, like his sister. And, you know, he's been in my life for over a year now. I've been on his podcast a couple times and it's just, I, and there's, you know, the handful of guys that are in the group. We've been checking in daily on Voxer, you know, for eight months or so. And I, I would do anything in the world for him within reason, you know, if, if it was within my power, I would want to help and support them. And I've never met him in person. No. And it's when just, you do meet them, that's another weird thing about this whole virtual business. It's very strange, isn't it? Because all the etiquette, not that I'm greatly into etiquette, but all the etiquette goes out of the window. When I, I went and did a, a day course thing with Steve. So I'd been chatting to all these people like we are over the air. And yeah. when you meet people in the real, you feel you know them. Yeah. And you know, people that you know, you kind of, when you greet them, you greet them in a particular way. But people that you don't know, because we're British and we're a bit strange, we're a bit stiff up a little weirdy, even still. Um, you know, it's kind of, when you meet these people, do you shake their hand? Do you hug them heartily? Do you, you know, kiss them on the cheek? Do, how, in, how on earth do you function kind of in a, in a dynamic face-to-face -face way when you feel that you know them and in fact you've never met them in the physical in your life it's a bit random i have to it say is, so i think you have to kind of you sort of do this weird kind of dance thing where you don't know whether you're shaking hands or hugging up or what you're doing and it's all a bit yeah that's when i would just leap up and say hey, I'm I'm a hugger. is that okay with you <laughs> no, i don't have a problem with that at all um, you know, and it's like, well, well, what are we doing? And in the end, it's kind of like, well, right, what are we doing? Look, come on, let's just, are we hugging up or what we're doing here? Are we shaking or hugging what we're doing? It's very random indeed. And then you add coronavirus into all that. That just adds another layer what of weird. What is going on? What is, what is going on? Our illustrious chap, Boris, oh, dear me, Boris, bless him. Yeah, he's having some, he's going to give us the next order of business of how we're going to conduct ourselves. You know, there is no right answer with this. Yeah, something's clearly going on, isn't it? Regardless of what you think that is, and I don't want to get into that with you because we'll all start going purple in the face. <laughs> this COVID business, regardless of what you think about it, whatever that is, it it is an agent for change. Mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. something we can all agree on. Nothing in this tiny little ball of water and muck we sit on is ever going to be the same again sadly mm -hmm. or maybe not sadly because i think yeah. some things probably did need a bit of a kick up the backside 
that nothing's ever going to be the same. And I think none of us, I think, if we're actually honest, like change. We're all a little bit resistant to it. You know, yes, it's an adventure, but we don't really want it in our garden. Thank you very much. And it's difficult, I think, because, you know, you can go to the shops. I We have we have libraries here. You go and you borrow the book um, and they lend you the book for free. And then you take it back in the fullness of time. If you're late taking it back, they give you a charge of a few pounds. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's all very if you think about it, it's all done on trust. It's rather clever and a, a bit fabulous, really. So I had library books. We were all kind of confined to our nests. And I hit the website and it said, oh, don't worry, you know, all your library books are quite, you hang on to them until September, by such time, this will all have blown over and we can go. So took the library books back. There's a whole different set of ways you go about it. Went to take the second lot of library. Can I get, an, can I get any out? And she said, no, she said, but we've come up with a great idea. So they'd, they'd got genres of reading. They'd put three books in a brown paper bag, labelled it with a number. You showed her your card. She put your number and that number together. And you got like a lucky dip bag of library books. How magnificent. Um, yes. with the, with the, it was just bonkers, but it was typical Britain, really. Typical the UK. We're a bit weird and eccentric, aren't we? I'm slightly oh, obsessed with the UK. We're a bit strange, bless us in our... It's because we're a little island. We've got little islander mentality. We've been invaded by everybody and his wife. So, you know, we're, we're a bit... <laughs> Not scrappy do from Scooby Doo. I think we'll have a scrap with anybody. We're a bit of a rum old bunch, to be fair. And so, so I guess me lucky dip bag, and I went to take them back, and there's an entirely different situation. And you think my small brain cannot cope with all of these differing situations that seem to happen on a minute to minute basis, and it's tiring. You have yes. to micromanage the most simple things. It's just exhausting. Isn't and I'm it? so glad that at the beginning of the year, our, I'm I'm doing this accountability group that has sent there was a paid version of it, and we're since stayed together. These group of girls at the beginning, the coach that created the program said, "Pick a theme word," and mine was one of my words was flow. And I thought, what a good word for 2020. Had I known in January yeah. what was going to come for 2020, but thankfully. I have that kind of a flow personality anyway. And I, it, I think it's really saved me. That and running in the woods. <laughs> My allotment has saved me. If I hadn't been able to trundle down the high street and go and dig in my earth I think I may have gone slightly bonkers well maybe right. and then too to have the group online like to be, have access to that interaction online is I think I think people yeah. underestimate it and that's why I talk about it so much here and when I do videos to find your group of people find people that you can resonate with that you can talk to that you can trust and you know create friendships with and I can't wait till I get to meet However many of you guys I get to meet because I, you know, me and my mom come over there pretty regular and we literally just got back, right, like we landed at the airport here from the UK and the next day they started taking temperatures. It was, I mean, we, I couldn't believe it. We were so, we were able to go from, be over there for three weeks and have our vacation from February to March and, um, you know, we're already like planning another trip because we're like, I mean, God, what if we can't go ever go back over there again? <laughs> You know, just we, it's just something that we love is to go over there. So, of course, I've got plans. I've got so many people that I've created friendships with that live that live in the UK that I would like to meet. And also, I imagine for you, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine you see, if I had to drive to Scotland tomorrow, I can't quite imagine why I'd want to. But not in this current climate, if I had to drive to Scotland, which is probably about, oh, I don't know, it was a guess about four hours, five hours driving. I would consider that a big deal. But yeah. I think. I think when you live in a country as large as yours, 
driving for four hours to go to somewhere isn't a big deal. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you're whizzing up and down England and we're all going, what, you were in Cornwall yesterday and you, you're in Scotland today? What? what? You must be exhausted. No, you're not, because you're used to traipsing off for miles, generally speaking. But we have such little island mentality about going distance. It's Well, it's see, I'm, I'm currently in North Carolina, and I'm from Southern California, and I've made that trip, you know, several times. Um, it takes about three and a half days or so if you drive pretty regular. My mom owns a national trip pet transport company. So she helps with rescued animals and people that have bought new puppies and she carries them all over the United States up into Canada. And um, so I grew up going from here to there to everywhere. And I would hop in a car right now and drive for 12 hours, no problem. Like it would it's a different mindset, isn't it? It's it is. And we even still, like me and my mom, when we were there, we wanted to see as much as we could in a short amount of time. So we went from, we did London and then we went from, London, um, went out of King's Cross into, I guess we went to Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And then we were in Edinburgh and went from Edinburgh to Inverness. We were all over the place. <laughs> we went to Aberdeen, Inverness, back yeah. to Aberdeen, and then back to Inverness. I mean, we, it was just an adventure yeah. for us. Exactly. But I think that it helps when you have that mentality, like, oh, absolutely. I can sleep absolutely. when I'm dead type mentality. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you're right that me and my mom stayed in such a survival mode for so long that once we got, you know, she got a little bit older, I got a little bit older and we got to where we had made, done this, the personal development work to get to a place where we weren't feeling like we were pulled in 20 different directions. We were able to then start really focusing on the things that we loved. And we have that mutual love of the UK. That's where my ancestors are from, her ancestors. And so my grandpa was born in Canada he served in the Royal Canadian Air Force, so he was stationed in London for a little while. And my mom grew up hearing his stories and having that love and appreciation of the UK from my grandpa. And so I think that it's just something that we kind of do together. So I like traveling about, but I like to come home. I really have do. Have you been over to the US? I have been over to the US once, and I went on an art trip to uh, New York in February. It was amazing. We really? did. We just. We were there for four days, I, and we just went around like lunatics. We oh. did it breakfast in a diner. We went up the Empire State Building. I terrorized this poor man. Well, I terrorized a few people really, just by oh. being English. Um, I went to the Chrysler Building, and when I was a child, there was a lots of black and white movies with oh, Fred yeah. Rogers, and they were always in the Empire State Empire State page, and they were always in the Chrysler Building. Now I kind of get to the Chrysler Building, and I'm like this child of four with big eyes, like pans, and I kind of, you know, and I didn't think because I'm from England and we're little, and I sort of I went, and there was this like this little rope thing, and I sort of said I put my bag down, and I kind of went behind the rope, really kind of sneakily, and and I said, <laughs> and he said, uh, you can't be behind there, and I said, really. Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? And he said, well, I said, no, I'm, I can honestly assure you, I said, that there's no way on this green earth that I would ever, ever demolish this, you know, harm this building. I said, when I was a little girl this big, I used to watch black and white movies that happened in buildings like this. And I've wanted to be here since I was four years old. Oh. And he said, you, you just can't leave your bag there. And I went, all oh, right, well, will you hold it? And he looked and I said, 
oh, for God's sake, man, it's just a handbag. I said, you might find a dead banana in it, but apart from that, it'll be absolutely fine. And it just, you could see, he, was, he said, are you from England? I went, what gave it away? <laughs> is, this, is this a security guard or something? A security man, you see. He oh, said, what gave it away? I said, oh, what gave it away? And he said, people from England. I said, yeah, we're a strange bunch, aren't we, really? <laughs> he let me go behind the little thingamajiggy. And I just, and so he, he literally put the handbag behind his desk. And I said, if you want to check it for whatever it is you think might be in there, go for it. There's nothing in there that's going to harm you or me or anybody else. Uh, uh, but the bananas passed its best, so I wouldn't squish it up too much. So anyway, <laughs> did you love New York? Oh, absolutely. Went to Dunkin' Donuts in the middle of the night. We got hungry. Me and my roommate got starving. And I said to her, it's not a problem. I'll go and get us some food. So she said, I said, there's a Dunkin' Donuts around the corner. So this is three o'clock in the morning in New York. Now, I couldn't tell you where we were because it's been a long time. Uh, but we were about two blocks, I think you call it, from the Empire State Building in this hotel that looked like, like a wedding cake on the inside. It was ludicrous. Oh. This Rococo weird thing. I don't quite know what that was about. But it was very lovely and the people were very kind. <laughs> and people live in hotels in New York. I couldn't quite get my head around that at the time. But, you know, it's a different world, isn't it? And uh, so I get my clothes on and puts a few dollars in my pocket and I goes out of the hotel on foot round the corner to the Dunkin' Donut shop and said to the man, oh, can I have two hot chocolates in those takeaway mugs and can I have two lumps of cheesecake, please? And, and the police came in because obviously they were having a tea break too. Oh, right. And this police officer chap, he said, um, he looked at me a bit strangely and he said, you know, good, good morning. And I said, oh, hello. And he said, how have you got here? And I thought, well, that's an odd question. And I went, how do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? What, to New York or to this shop or what? Well, how do you mean exactly? And he went, here, to this shop. And I went, oh, I walked. And he said, and where do you live? And because I have no sense of direction, I'd written it on my hand. And I said, oh, I've come from here. <laughs> I've written on my hand. And he said, and how are you going to get back? And I went, well, I'm going to walk. And he said, at two o'clock, at three o'clock in the morning in New York. And I went, yes. And he said, are you not frightened? I went, no. Why would I be frightened? What have I got to be frightened about? And he said, you could see this poor man having 50 million bad images in his head. And he said, he said, aren't you worried that somebody's going to shoot you? And I went, no. <laughs> and he said, Why not? And I said, that only happens in the movies, doesn't it? <laughs> and he said, no, it doesn't. And I went, well, why are they going to shoot me? I said, so I took my money out of my pocket. I said, I think I've got, well, I've got this. I said, one note and a bit of money. I said, and I've got two mugs of hot chocolate and two bits of cheesecake. If they come along, I will offer them all the money I've got in the world in my pocket and my drinks and my food because that's all <laughs> I And if that's not enough, then that's just a bit unfortunate because I haven't got anything else to offer. And he said, <laughs> I said, what, for two bits of cheesecake, two mugs of hot chocolate and a few bit of money I don't think so really and he said, I'm going to take you back to your hotel I went you're not I'm not being taken back to a hotel by a policeman I'm being escorted back to my hotel by a policeman that's did shocking. he end up escorting you back he did he said well I'll walk with you then and I said isn't that the same that sounds very similar to me and he said very similar to me young man I said and he said he said I can't, I can't let you walk there on your own because if something happens to you, I said, I can assure you I'm going to be fine. And he said, well, I'm going to walk you back. So anyway, we walked back. He was a really lovely man telling me all about his family and stuff. But That's I don't so think we could possibly imagine 
I couldn't imagine being shot and he couldn't imagine me walking there or back on my own without a company. Isn't that so funny? We're just, our norms, our, our societal norms are so different. Do you walk about like that? I said, yeah, I suppose if I got hungry, I'd find somewhere to eat and just wander off and get it. And he went, in England. I went, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And he was just mortified that I'd done this craziness, really. I, love, I, I swear I love everything about your personality. And obviously I know you within the group, but I haven't really gotten to know you know you, except for the, other than this conversation and i've just so enjoyed talking to you and i would love to talk to you again and have you oh, on God. again because you have i feel like you have a lot more nuggets in your brain floating around that could help oh. women that could, just that spirit in you is something that i feel like my whole brand is based on is that spirit because that that fighting spirit and that rebel spirit and that kind of audaciousness is what i love um to share with people because then it can be inspiring to them to kind of maybe have a little bit in their in their life you know for the betterment of their life and to and to go after what their dreams are and to to live vividly which is my thing that I like to push on people <laughs> but you know we all have days don't we when you know I don't want you to go away thinking oh my god she lives in this bubble of loveliness and it's all wonderful in her world no oh. no the cat does puke on the best cushion and the washing machine does break and the dishwasher does leak and all of that twaddle happens you know you just choose not to fixate on it you know you just have to i fixate on it at the time and then i just have to take myself to one side and go look tomorrow <laughs> is a new yeah. day let's just try and get a good night's sleep and look at it differently tomorrow you know once you've once you've kind of just stepped away from something and looked at it in a different way then really it's not half as big a mountain but I am a grab it while it's little type of person. So if there's a problem looming, I kind of nip it in the bud. Because if I, the only times I've ever closed my eyes really tightly and hoped that it would go away, it's when I've opened them again, it's been this insurmountable mess that I've not known where to start. So I am a bit of a grab it and sort it early on type of. Yeah. Thing. Well, I just want you to know I appreciate so much you coming on. We finally made it happen. But I know it, it takes a lot, and it's not easy for everybody to get on and share their story. And I, I just want you to know that I know there's some nuggets in there that you mentioned to me. Besides all the funny things you said I know people are going to love, there's things in there that you said that are going to benefit people hearing, especially because a lot of my listeners are on a journey where they're trying to find themselves. They've been drawn to my podcast because they are trying to find their place in the world and I feel like it just helps you know hearing other people's story it's it's, it's kind of like, like I always say we're a monkey see monkey do society oh, God, and when yes. we look around the corner and we see somebody doing something that we want to be doing and they're doing it successfully and they're also speaking openly about the failures and the times we fall and we, mm -hmm. we get back up and we do it anyway and then we become successful that just makes them realize it's possible oh yes absolutely and then yeah, that's what I want. We are always our best self, aren't we? I was, you know, I had a good day today. I got loads done. Yesterday was not quite so productive. I was, in fact, quite rubbish. But I was my best rubbish. And today I'm my, in my best productive self. And tomorrow, who knows? I haven't got up yet. But you're always your best self. And that might not be quite what your expectation of the day is. But right. if you're being the best you can do, even if you think that's rubbish, you can't do better than your best. You can only be your best self. Oh, and tomorrow that. you'll be your new best self. And it may or may not be better than the day you've just had because you don't know. And that's the kind of, that's the wonder of it all, isn't it? The fact that we don't know. Yeah.
And that's also like, can be very scary, but I love that part of it. I finally got to my, got in my life where I could shift my perspective of that and really get excited and, and like be excited about the unknown rather than scared of it. Yeah. You know, we always have what we need to get through that day. We may not feel like it at times, but we can get to the end of that day with either help intervention or otherwise we can do it. We yeah, just we at some points think, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. But self-doubt is, you know, that is a killer, isn't it, really? That will have you every, you'll have the rug out from under you every time. Get on a whole episode with you about self-doubt. So I want to leave, I want you to leave, I'm going to put all your information about ornamentology and all of the beauty that you do and let people find you. I'll do all that on my end. But I want you to leave, leave the listeners with a piece of advice from you today. Oh, my goodness. I always think that... I'm going to give them a practical piece of advice. Always put enough water in your kettle before you go to bed at night, knowing that when you wake up in the morning, there'll be enough water in the kettle to make your morning beverage. You know there's enough water in that kettle to have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever you wake up with. That's a useful piece of information. And try not to be too hard on yourself because that's what everybody else does. Yes. Offer yourself some grace. That's a really, really good way to end the conversation. I totally, totally agree. Well, thank you, Gail, so, so much for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Gail and that you've learned something from her or at the least got a chuckle because she's hilarious. Remember, go do something good for yourself. More importantly, go do something good for somebody else. And we will see you guys next week.